Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, the host of this podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here. A bit about me, I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur and investor who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. The Dear 20-something podcast started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful changemakers they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts, we're here to humanize the whole thing. You'll hear from successful trailblazers who will share the highs and lows of their 20s, and you'll also get words of wisdom from some experts who will speak on a certain topic relevant for 20-somethings. And then sometimes it'll just be me, on the mic, hosting an episode where I share recent reflection or story from my own life, as I too am navigating this wild decade. We're so happy to have you here. Let's get started. All right, so today on the show, I am very excited to be chatting with Sif Hyder. Sif is an entrepreneur, host of Dear Media's The Dream Bigger podcast, and co-founder and CEO of Array, a holistic wellness brand that features 100% naturopathic, doctor-formulated bloat and calm alchemy capsules designed to supercharge your digestion and relax your mind. Prior to launching Array in March 2020, Sif spent time in the publishing industry working for Elle Canada and then moved on to launch a successful blog titled Icing and Glitter, which she launched in 2016. Sif founded Array after struggling with many different health issues for years and found that natural remedies were able to cure many of her day-to-day issues. With that intention of bridging the gap between finding natural, organic, high-quality supplements that solve targeted problems, Sif created and expertly formulated Array Bloat and Calm Capsules. Array is the only bloat pill that has undergone third-party clinical trials and is beloved by celebs and influencers like Hailey Bieber, Melissa Wood Health, Hannah Bronfman, and many more. Originally from Bangladesh, but grew up in Toronto and Dhaka, Sif graduated from the University of Toronto in 2013 and Condé Nast College in 2014. She currently resides in LA with her husband and Array co-founder, Nish Simantre, where they spend their free time cooking, reading, and traveling the globe together, living their best lives. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Sif. Hello. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for being here. What a cool bio. I'm, you've done the things. You've done a lot of things. I, I, I think my bio makes me sound a little more interesting than I really am. But, you know, we go with it. I feel like that's like the sign of a good bio, right? Is you read it and you're like, oh, God, really? Okay, that's cool, I guess. Yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I did do all that stuff. That's awesome. Also, I didn't know you were L.A. I'm L.A. Where are you in L.A.? I'm in Toronto right now. West Hollywood normally. I'm right now in Toronto. That's where I'm originally from. I moved to LA like, what was it, last year? And I've kind of been back and forth for the last year. But um, yeah, West Hollywood. Amazing. Love that. I love LA. It's the greatest area ever. I've also randomly been meeting a lot of Toronto women in tech and venture. In LA? Yeah. Like, it's the weirdest thing. I know. There's so many. What is that? Wait, who have you met? Okay, should we do some shout outs? Okay, so Taylor Frankel, Nude Sticks. Yeah, she's a really good friend. Okay, she's the best. And then Maggie Sellers. Shout out Maggie. Also a very good friend. Really? Okay, and then I met Angelique at Aloe a week ago. Oh, I don't know her. I don't know her, but I know the other two. I'm actually seeing Taylor... Uh, day after tomorrow for a panel that I'm hosting in Toronto. So like, these are like people I know really well. (laughs) Yeah, it's a very small world. Whoa. Because I feel like you guys would all know each other. Yeah. So Angelique, she's the CMO of Aloe Yoga. And we were just like at an event and we were sitting next to each other and she was like, oh yeah, like, and I'm from Toronto. And I'm like, 
Why is everybody? I didn't know she was Canadian. Wow, that's, that's pretty badass that the CMO of Aloe is a Canadian. That makes me feel really good. She's such a badass. Yeah. It's crazy too, because I've been talking to them and I won't like be specific at who, but like a couple of them about like visa stuff. And it's kind of wild because I've definitely had international friends who've told me a little bit about visa stuff. One of my closest girlfriends is from Australia and I've kind of like seen how that's gone down. Like she wants to come to America, but it's hard. It's crazy. Canadians can't always... I mean, they don't often get visas. Yeah, it's been a core part of my personality. Like talking about visa issues has been a core part of my personality for a whole year. So, and actually the last text I sent to Maggie was about visas. So listen, Canadians don't have it easy living in the US. Let me just put that out there. It's so sad. And I think we don't talk about it enough. Like unless you actually have friends that are Canadian, you don't really know what it's like. And if you're so, especially if you're an entrepreneur, right? Especially if you're in tech, I think like you're, there's naturally going to be gaps in your resume where you like want to be able to live in LA and like figure out the next thing or like quit a toxic job or whatever it is, but you literally cannot if you don't want to be deported and you like can't ruffle feathers because you don't want people to know that you're still there. It's wild. So anyway, I, I've recently been like very exposed to the Canadian slash Toronto specific visa things. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's a wild world, let me tell you. Wait, so tell me about your visa. I mean, I don't know if you want to share too much, but like your visa issues is, I mean, you're married now, so I feel like that helps, right? We're both Canadian. You're both Canadian. Ugh. Yeah, but it's it's fine. We have like our visa stuff sorted now, but like it was just like, it took a long time because of backlogs during COVID. Like, it, like it's just kind of like normally like the class of visa that we have should have been like a three week long issue, but because of COVID, it, took basically like a year, which is unheard of. But I'm just glad that we've crossed that bridge. But I'm telling you, like when I say it was like a core part of my personality, like there is not one person that like just even like has had like one conversation with me where like this didn't come up at some point. So like Maggie and I bonded over it. I've spoken to her lawyers. So like, yeah, like all Canadians know the struggle. That's so funny. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you have each other, right? And like, it's kind of a small world of people that need to figure this out together. I'm sure you meet everyone in that little Canadian circle. So I'm glad that you found good people. Also lovely to hear that we've got some overlap, wonderful humans that you're friends with. Yes, great people. Great people. Okay, so before we dive in, I start every show with a, like a little bit of a light question, an icebreaker, if you will. So what is something new you learned this past week? It can be visa related if we want to stay on that trend, but something new you learned. It could be like a stat you read in an article. It could be an interesting conversation. It could be something you're struggling with with your business, like something new you learned that you're willing to share with us. So I am a big fan of manifestation. Like it's like a, you know, I'm like a big believer in it. A lot of what's happened in my life has been on account of that. And one thing that I did, which is like brand new for me, is I actually outlined the process that I took for every manifestation to happen. So I was like in the midst of like trying to manifest something like really big and I'd been working on it for a long time and it was like, oh, like why isn't it happening or whatever? Like it's just taking so long. And so I was like, okay, like let me go back and see the process and like timeline and like what I did for every other thing that's happened. And let me see if I've been following all those steps because it's based on like how things work for me. And so I feel like that was just kind of like a really interesting eye-opening exercise, which if any of your listeners are interested in manifestation, like I think that 
it's like something that they can maybe do for themselves because sometimes things take a little bit longer to come along that maybe you've been working on or, you know, you've been hoping to happen. And it's just a really interesting exercise to go back and like, look at some like the really big things that have happened in your life and like actually go through the step-by-step process of, okay, like what was your own outlook? What were you doing on a day-to-day basis? How long did it take? What were the hurdles? Because it kind of gives you a lot of hope and context as to like, okay, like even though like it's not here today, it's obviously like it's around the corner because like it's happened in this way, like X, Y, and Z situation. So that's something new I learned and I thought it was interesting. That's so cool. How did you like know what questions to ask yourself to backtrack? Because I feel like there's things that have happened where I'm like, whoa, that was kind of a whirlwind. Like, yes, I know subconsciously I wanted that to happen, but is there like a book you read or like, is there a person you really look up to that does this well? So I've been like into journaling and like, like all of this basically for like years now. And so I'm pretty self-aware of the processes that happen and like what I've been writing about. Like anytime I'm manifesting something, which is like all the time, I'm like always working on something. I don't know. Like I'm like very self-aware of the fact that that's like a big goal for myself. Right. And so then I like write about it in a certain way. I like take certain steps in my daily life. And like, because I've been so self-aware of like those things that I've done in the past, it's like, oh, like I did it that way. Or like, that's how long it took. Because like, you know, there's like significant life events that kind of like color year over year of your life, you know? And so that's kind of what I go back on because those are like the easiest things to remember. And sometimes those things were like the biggest challenges, right? Where you were like, I want this so bad. Like I want this so bad. I'm doing everything I can to make it happen. And like, those are like the real big memorable ones, you know? Like obviously along the way, there've been like a lot of things that have happened almost unconsciously, like great things, but they're not as memorable because like the big ones are the things that you work on for so long. And so like, you're a little bit more conscious of like, oh, like it took this long. And I remember when things felt like they weren't going to happen the way that they needed to, I felt like this, but then this is how I acted when that happened. You know what I mean? I love that. That's so cool. Yeah. It sounds like you've also, because you've been doing this for a while, it's like probably second nature now too. Whereas like, I think a lot of people might be like, okay, I want to manifest like X thing to happen. Where do I even start? What would you recommend? Because so I'll say I do like vision boarding. Like Mm -hmm. I'm a big visual person. And for me, it's like an annual like, and it's very weird. Like I look at it, my, my vision boards over here and like, there's weird stuff on it that have like really come true that I wouldn't have like, so I have, I have one quote on there and one word and then the rest are just pictures. And like the one quote is said by someone who like, I really respect and admire. I ended up meeting this person like six months ago. And it was like the weirdest thing. That's so crazy. Yeah. And I was like, wait, like, yes, I'm trying to internalize the quote, but I didn't even think that putting that person's quote on my board meant it would bring me closer to that person. Right? Like it was very, very strange. That's insane. Yeah. And so what do you recommend for someone that's maybe like listening now that maybe wants something like, let's say they're an entrepreneur and they like want to have like a big fundraise or they're like, applying to grad school and they want to get in or they want to find a partner or like whatever the thing is, what's like the forward-looking manifestation you would recommend? In terms of resources, I think a really good place to start if you're really starting from ground zero is The Universe Has Your Back and Super Attractor. Both books are by Gabby Bernstein. And I feel like that's like a really good jumping point. Another good jumping point is also The Secret. That was my intro to manifestation back in like 2014. And I was like, this is bullshit. And then I read it because my mom was like, you have to read this. Like, it's a really good book. And like, it's totally going to change how you approach life. And it really did. Like, I, I like right away, like I remember 
this is like a small story, which I will tell your listeners because like that was my first intro into manifestation, but I was reading the secret and I was on like an eight hour plane ride. Okay. And so I read the secret the whole way through and I was really panicking because back then I was living in Toronto and the airports in order to grab one of those like luggage carts, they were like $2. Okay. And I didn't have any cash on me because I'd been in Europe for like months. I, I was like living there it was for grad school or whatever. So I was coming back and I had all this luggage, like, you know, like four or five pieces. And I was freaking out because I was like, oh my God, I don't have $2. Like, what am I going to do? But then I was like, using whatever I learned in the secret to be like, no, like, it's not going to be an issue. Like, it's going to be fine. I'm just going to get there. And there's going to be a cart available for me. And I'm just going to like waltz out of the airport with not a care in the world. And I got there and they had gotten rid of the $2 thing for the cart. So all the carts were free. And I could not like, this is so small. But back then for me, where I was like, just completely like, I, I was like, this is bullshit. To go from like, like that to like actually getting something I was just like really anxious about that anxiety gone away because this was like solved. I don't know. It was such a big proof point that that was kind of when I got really into it. And then from there, it was like Gabby Bernstein's books. And then I really like Shaman Durek's books. And obviously, like, I think anyone who's interested in any kind of growth will know that you can't attack goals or desires from like a one dimensional aspect. And what I mean by that is you can't sit here and be like, I'm going to journal all day long and like, you know, meditate on this goal that I have, but I'm not doing any tangible things to make it happen. So yeah, I journal and yeah, I meditate and yeah, I visualize and create vision boards, but I'm working my ass off. Like, don't, don't get it twisted. I am doing things every day to ensure that I get closer and closer to my goals. I'm reading the business books. I am ensuring that I show up my best self every single day to make sure that I'm like actually you know, in a place to receive those things that I'm looking for as well. So, you know, you can't be one dimensional about it, but from a belief and mindset aspect, I think that's like a good jumping point. That story is insane, especially right after you read the book. When you have moments like that, it just like further proves that what you've just read is the truth. Oh, it was insane. Mind blowing. Yeah. And from there, I was like, I'm a believer. Like, I don't care because it's like, it was like eating me. You don't understand, Erica. Like, I'm someone who big things don't throw me, but it'll be like these tiny things that really stress me out. And it was at that moment, it was like, Oh my God, how am I going to get home with all of this luggage? Like I can't, I only have two hands. And so, you know, it was, it was just really interesting. I totally get it. And I think your point is really well made about taking actions to get closer. Like, I think that's the part people forget a lot. Like you can't just like sit and talk. You have to do. And I think you're totally right. That's the thing with manifestation is like, yes, it brings opportunities into your life, but you're only meeting the people. You're only growing your business. You're only doing the things if you're actually out there in the world and living and not just like sitting at home, hoping someone like shows up at your door. Cause like, that's not how the world works. Yeah, absolutely. It's also embodying that version of yourself who already has that thing, right? So for example, if you're looking for a partner, is the version of you who has a partner bitching about how men or women are trash at home with their friends? Or are they like behaving like very confident and kind of like, you know, like they already have that thing? Like, how would you behave if you were in a relationship, which was like incredibly healthy and Um, You were in love and you had the partner of your dreams. You know what I mean? You wouldn't be at home like bitching about it. A thousand percent. And I think that's another like exercise that people can hopefully take from this too. Like if you want to do the thing, imagine you've done the thing and then just like spend your night and go to the event as if you've done the thing. You know, like you've launched the business, you've met the partner, you've done the thing. How do you carry yourself? I think that's another 
Because like we said, like we can talk all day, right, on this podcast, but like what are the actions that can come of it so people can actually change their lives, right? So cool. Well, thank you for sharing all that. I, I didn't know you were so into that. I mean, it makes sense because I've, I've seen some of your content, but very cool to hear. Okay, so let's get into childhood. Fun topics. When you were younger, like what did you want to be when you grew up? And I know you were, you know, raised in Bangladesh and then you went to college in Toronto. So could you also tell me a little bit about like the transition from one place to the other and like, yeah, kind of where you saw your career as a kid? I actually moved to Toronto when I was in second grade and then spent basically elementary school and middle school here. And then I went to Bangladesh again for high school and then moved to Toronto for university and then London for my postgrad diploma. So kind of been you're so in cultured. All of the places. <laughs> I'm so impressed. Thank you. Well, yeah, it's it's been it's definitely been like, you know, I've I've had like an interesting, I guess, like childhood slash pre-adulthood, I guess. Um, what I wanted to be when I was younger, my God, I probably wanted to be all of the things. So I wanted to be everything from a singer to having my own business. Like I was always very creative and I liked performing. So when I was younger for a long time, I wanted to be a singer. And then when that I was like, okay, like not going to do this. Then I wanted to be a chef or like a pastry chef rather, because I I'd always like, I'd grown up baking and I loved baking. And so that was like another creative outlet for me. So in retrospect, when I look back at all of these things that I wanted to do and wanted to be, it was always different creative things. And I think now like with what I'm doing in life, it's kind of like a medley of all of the things that I wanted to do or like aspects of it. Like for example, I think what really appealed to me about being a singer was like, oh, I like to like communicate and perform almost, but like bring value to people if that makes sense. And I, I get to do that through my podcast or, you know, when it came to being a pastry chef or like later on, it was like be a writer or like basically creative things like that. Or I get to do all of that with Array. So it's just interesting that everything that I wanted to do when I was younger, obviously, like you don't know all your career possibilities, but I kind of picked and chose a lot of the components of things that I liked and applied to my life today. Yeah, it's the best, right? I think the one thing that I kind of come back to and I say the most important thing you need as an entrepreneur is creativity. And people are always like, what? That's like a painter. That's a singer, whatever. I'm like, no, no. Like creativity is creating something from nothing. That's the definition of it. And I think that's an entrepreneur, like to its core, right? Like you have an idea, you see like a way of the world. And even like a podcast, right? You have an idea in your head, you're going to host a podcast. You create the podcast. It's the art. It's the topic. It's reaching out to the guests. It's creating a following. It's it's all the things. That's creativity. Yeah. And it's also like knowing something or like having a vision that no one else does where people may not understand it. So like entrepreneurs who create something really cool, it, it's like when they initially have that thought, it's maybe not something that other people understand per se, but they understand it and they see something that other people don't. And so I think like that's the thing with creativity as well. And you see that with artists too. Like a lot of people, a lot of painters were like ahead of their time or, you know, musicians, like you see these lessons in history and it's just, it's definitely an interesting through line, which goes across not just entrepreneurs, but artists, singers, whatever. So creativity is like a huge through line, I would say. Yeah, it's like, it's almost like it's the combination of like seeing the white space and having the vision and then being the right person to do it. It's like both. Cause like, I think of like, okay, I, first of, I love like Lil Nas X. He's hilarious. He's amazing. Oh, he's so great. He's yeah. so great. Yeah, love his vibe. But this idea that like he wanted to be like a gay 
black man that was like singing some country. That is clearly a white space, but that he was the guy to do it, right? Like I think anyone could kind of see like, oh yeah, there's clearly not anyone there and maybe there's like a vision for it, but he was the guy to action on it, right? Like you have your business idea and like maybe a few other people saw that there was a bit of a white space where you wanted to build a ray and then you were like, no, but I'm the one to do it which is like the perfect blend. So, okay. So, and then can you tell me a little bit more about like why the back and forth a few times between Bangladesh and Toronto? Because it sounds like you kind of hopped like four times. So we moved, I like I moved with my family when I was in second grade. And that was just because Toronto is like a great place to grow up. And my parents wanted that for us. My dad grew up in the UK and he just felt that maybe that wasn't the right place to go, but Toronto was. So Toronto. We grew up here. Then we went back to Dhaka because my dad's business is there. And all throughout when we were living here, my dad would go back and forth every month. And that's like a 24 hour plus journey. So basically like at the end of every month he would go and then he'd come back the following month. So, you know, it was just a lot of traveling for him. And I think by the time I was in high school as well, both parents kind of needed to be there full time because no one in high school is easy or full of attitude and, you know, or just doing all the things. And so both my parents wanted to be there. And also I think they wanted me to have exposure to a different kind of life as well. And I'm so grateful that I did because I had the best high school experience in Dhaka. Like I would not trade that for the world. I had so much fun. I went to like the best school, like just had like the best friends, like just the most fun And then it's like pretty normal for people to not do college in Bangladesh. You know, even if they choose to live there afterwards, a lot of people leave and do their higher education elsewhere and then go back. And so Toronto just seemed like the natural choice for me because I'm Canadian and I had like, you know, roots here as well, which I wanted to come and explore for myself on my own. And so back then my dream school was in Toronto, which was University of Toronto, which is where I went. And I was set on one of their campuses, which is also where I went. So it just felt like the natural choice. So that's why I bopped around, I guess, like across my childhood. So awesome. It's very cool to hear. I think I'm someone who born and raised in LA, went to college in LA, may or may not also now live in LA. And so it's very, I'm like, I hear you explaining all these things, even that your dad's from the UK and that you went there for postgrad. It's just, it's very refreshing to hear about such international experiences. And of course, we can all travel. We can all spend, you know, a month or so in all these different areas. But it's really special that you got to really live for long periods of time in a few different places. Yeah, I think because it was so normal when I moved away for college, like now it's it's interesting because I speak to a lot of my friends and they're like, oh yeah, I moved out of state because my, you know, I went to this college, my parents live here, but I went across the world. And so because of that, it was very easy for me to feel like, oh, I can move anywhere. And it's like not a big deal for me. I mean, I know that it's a blocker for a lot of people, but for me, I'm not so attached to the idea of having to like live in one place. I can make any place my home because of that. And so, you know, I really had wanted to live in London. Like I love Europe. And so when it came to, after doing my undergrad, I had the opportunity to do a diploma program in London. They had the school I wanted to go to, which was Condé Nast College. And, you know, the instructors that you have access to is like the editor-in-chief of British Vogue back then, or like crazy designers, like crazy photographers. And I was like, I want to be learning from these people and I want to have that experience. And so having that experience of, you know, living in London for a little bit was really fun. I did study abroad in 
France for the summer. So like any opportunity I had, I just took it to kind of experience whatever I could. I love that. And finding the people that are so inspiring for you, right? Like, I think those are the best colleges is when like the professors or the like, you know, speakers in the class are just these people you're like, oh my God, I've only dreamed about talking to them. So tell me about your University of Toronto experience. So what did you major in? How did you like it? And then obviously we know you went to London after, but can you tell me a little bit more about that time? And it sounds like it was your dream school. Did it live up to the hype? So I went into U of T. I think I loved my school. I really did. And I don't think that I would go to any other school in Canada. Like in retrospect, would I go somewhere else in the world? Yes, probably. But in Canada, it's the best school that there is. And I, you know, it was the best experience that I could have here. In terms of what I studied, I went in with the law courses, which is insane considering how creative I was. So when I initially came in, I went in for sociology and political science. And I was miserable. I hated what I was studying in school. And then by chance, I decided to take a religion course just as like an elective. And this was in my third year of college. And I fell in love with what I was learning. And so I, by the time I graduated, religion was a minor for me as well. And I actually loved that. And I excelled at that, which makes sense because I've always been a big history nerd. And that's kind of the stuff that I like to learn about. And so Looking back on it, I think that my choice in majors at the beginning was quite misguided. But I have a lot of opinions on this because I think that people are expected to go into college like almost like, oh, like I know what I'm going to do, but you're barely developed, you know? And so I'm glad that a lot of schools actually, it's not just U of T, but like a lot of schools across North America, especially, they allow you to kind of use your first year or so to kind of explore different avenues, like take these electives where, you know, in my case, I fell in love with something that I was taking for an elective. I was like, oh, this is an easy A. And then I was like, wait, I love this. This is awesome. And so I learned, you know, to do all the religion courses that I could find. So yeah, it was a great experience in that sense. And I met my husband and co-founder Nish. I met him in college, like we lived in the same dorm. And so you know, a lot of good came out of it. And so, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't create the experience. That's awesome. It's always good when you meet one or two special people because you're like, even if it wasn't perfect, even if it wasn't what it was like, you wouldn't have met those people otherwise. So it makes it all a hundred percent worth it. And yeah, that's very cool about the religion stuff too. I, people always say they don't like GEs and like, I understand that it's a little bit annoying to have to take classes that are not part of like your interest you think you have. But like you said, there's these stories of like, I took a GE or I took an elective or whatever they're called. And it just unlocks this whole new thing. And honestly, like knowing, you know, religion, knowing psychology, knowing computer science, like even as a minor, it makes you a much more interesting person because like you can now think about, okay, how did, you know, people back then think about spirituality and how did people think about taking care of themselves and community? Cause so much of that is religion. Right. And then you can incorporate that into your business now. Like it really does. It may seem disjointed, but you actually, it makes you more interesting and a better leader and like can carry into what you do. Religion was probably like one of the best things that I could have done for myself, like studying religion in college, because it made me a very open-minded person, you know, because it made me realize that people don't inherently think that they're doing something wrong necessarily. It's like just what they're, what they believe, you know, and it's okay to have a different set of beliefs from someone because they think that what they believe is right. And you think what you believe is right, you know, and there's not necessarily an objective 
like good in that sense, you know what I mean, or an objective right. So it's like, it's really important to always take into consideration what people are saying. It just made me a very open-minded person. And I think being able to look at things from almost like a zoom out lens and look at all of these things and study all of these things, it's allowed me even outside of like, obviously like religion is like one aspect, but like even just like schools of thought, it's just allowed me to be a lot more empathetic and not get so like personal or defensive or riled up if someone shares a different viewpoint. So I'm just able to have conversations in a very like neutral way because of that. And I think it's worked to my advantage and I I wouldn't trade it. I think it was like actually like a life skill that I got based on those courses. Yeah, that's so huge. It's so huge. And I think, you know, you also probably because of your childhood, it met so many different kinds of people, right? Like I know people now who, and I mean, I'm kind of in LA always, but I've done some travel. I've done some international programs. I went to an international university, but you know, you don't really often meet a lot of different types of people. I mean, like even from like a religion standpoint, like I will say in LA, most of the people I spend time with or have interacted with are a pretty reformed version of whatever their religion is. Whether they're Christian, whether they're Jewish, whether they're Muslim, whatever they are, like it's all great, but it's all a very reformed version or they're agnostic. And, and so I don't, I don't even get that exposure to like extreme religion very much or even conservative religion because that's just not the vibe in LA unless you go to certain pockets. And so I think what's cool too probably is like even your childhood, you probably saw varying levels of it. Because like I make jokes now, like I have friends that are dating people, you know, and my sister's dating someone who's not of the same religion as our family is. And it's like, it's less about the having the same religion and more about being the same level of religion. Is it like a big part of your life or like not that big or like it's more about the values? So it's very interesting. And you probably had such great exposure to that from all your, you know, childhood years. Yeah, it honestly, like I, like I know I've had a childhood where, you know, I, I moved around or like whatever, but also so did my husband more so than me. Like he was born in Norway, he lived in the Middle East. So we've both kind of had a lot of exposure to different kinds of people, different schools of thoughts. And I think that it just makes us very personable and able to kind of speak to anyone. And so I consider it a blessing, you know, I, I feel like I've, it, it's been yeah, a real blessing for me to have kind of seen what I've seen in my life. It's awesome. It's very cool. Okay, so so then you graduate from University of Toronto. You had this like awakening with religion, but you're also studying a lot of other great things. You then decide to go to Condé Nast College, learn from some of these amazing, brilliant European people. How was that experience? And then at that point in your life, what were you thinking career-wise? So as soon as I graduated from college, I was like, I'm going to go into PR or like events. I was like the head of events in our dorm and like we used to host like really like big events. And so I really enjoyed that. Um, and so I was like, okay, like there's something here. And I really like to write. Like I, I was that loser who loved writing college essays. Like what? And so I was like, okay, like I know I'm meant to do something kind of like a little bit of all of that. And so I was like, I'll go into PR maybe. And so at Condé Nast College, we covered obviously like all things magazine, but a lot of communication as well. So like a lot of my classmates went into PR, they went to events roles. And so post-grad, like after graduating, basically, I got an internship in PR and I absolutely hated it. But what I loved about my job was writing press releases. Again, like that loser who liked to like write shit, you know? And so from there, I was like, okay, no, like I want to work at a magazine. And so then that's what I pursued. And then 
you know, that's kind of why I decided to start my blog because I wanted a creative outlet and I felt like I had full creative control over whatever I was writing. I could cover fashion. I could, I could cover like a range of different topics, which was very interesting to me. And then from there, got a job at Al Canada, worked there for a little over a year, left that and then went full time with my own blog. So yeah, like it's, I just, I knew after college that I wanted to go into something creative. It just took me a little bit to navigate and figure out which creative thing was right for me. Totally. And it sounds like the through line really is like you loved content. So whether it was like writing or like it was like content creation now or whatever it was, it's working for a fashion magazine. Like it's all just like creative content that you like to put together. Tell me a little bit more about your time at Elle Canada. And like, obviously like everyone knows Elle, it's a big fashion magazine. Did you like the work there? What did you learn? So I worked on the digital fashion team essentially. So every article that was written covering trends, different interesting things that were happening, that was all me on the digital side. And this was back when now like magazines are almost like I would say like 90% digital back then it was like brand new print was still king but I was going into it in the era where I think like we were going to see like the decline of print issues pretty quickly after, right after that I loved my job there I loved my team I learned so much from working at a magazine you know I understood how to just like an editorial calendar you know and so when I was, you know, when I went into my blog full time, I was very strict about like an edit, having like a calendar, you know, it wasn't just like haphazardly writing blog posts. It was like, I know I'm going to cover this, like this is, and I, I did like intense research on whatever I was doing. So like if I was covering like a skincare ingredient, for example, like I would do deep research into what did it mean? Like what was the breakdown? Like what were estheticians and derms saying about it? If I could, I would go speak to a germ. So I, I think I had the journalistic lens when it came to content creation because of my time at a magazine. And I wouldn't trade that, you know? And then obviously things like being able to navigate my way through InDesign and Photoshop, that was all because of my time at L. So I think working at a magazine allowed me to use a lot of those like lessons that I learned at Condé Nast and actually transfer it onto like a tangible job, which then helped me when I was, doing my own thing as well. So yeah, like it was, it was a great job to have. And I am forever grateful for the experience. My team was amazing. They were like, not at all clicky. My boss was so supportive and just like incredible. And so really only good things to say there. That's awesome. And it's very cool that you also had your own blog on the side, because I think that's also the sign of an entrepreneur. If like you have a day job and then you're just like doing stuff on the side, like you just want to have your own creative freedom, like you said, kind of have like that place where you can really express yourself. Because sometimes a nine to five can be a little limiting, especially when you're a 20 something, right? Can you tell me a little bit more about like why you started the blog? And then also what made you go full time on the blog? Because I think that's a big leap, obviously. I know blogging also back then, we know like blogging was like the thing, it was all the rage. But can you tell me a little bit more about like the blog? And then yeah, what like led to that decision to go full time? I loved having creative freedom. And you know, when you work at a magazine and you have a certain role or you're, you know, able to do some like one thing, it's, not like you can touch different areas. You kind of have to like do that one thing. And so for me, that was fashion. But I was really interested in other things. Like I was interested in beauty and I was interested in travel. And so my blog was a way for me to write about all of those things that were so interesting to me. 
And so that's kind of what appealed to me. And in terms of going full time with it, I kind of came to a crossroads where I had to make a decision on whether I would continue and go full force with my career at L or pursue my blog and like actually make money from advertisers that were coming to me, like brand collaborators. And by the way, that, that amount was so little, but the contract that I had with L limited me from doing that. And I found that that just, I just thought that that wasn't the future anymore, you know, where I was like, I should be able to do both. And like now when you obviously look at people's careers, like, of course, they're allowed to do both. Like a job can't stop you from doing that really. And that's why I decided to leave because I also saw that there was this rise of these digital creators. Like it was the first time when Coachella had invited these like influencers to go to the show, right? And they were staying in the same place as editors. And up until then, I think that the editorial world had been very gatekept. It was very exclusive. And so I really liked the fact that this digital creator world kind of democratized it and you didn't have to kind of climb this ladder and you proved yourself because you were creative and people wanted to see what you had to offer. You know what I mean? Consumers, I mean. And so I just thought that that was really interesting. And I kind of started to build a community on Instagram as well. And I just, I felt like if I didn't take the leap then, like when would I do it? And also I've, I've like, you know, I've always been someone who's not afraid of risk. I come from, you know, a family of entrepreneurs. And so that's kind of always been my background. And so when it came to making that decision, I remember calling my dad and I was like, like, what do you think I should do? Like, I feel like I should take this full time. And he didn't really get what I was doing, but he's like, you should do this because, you know, when else are you going to do it? You're in your early twenties. You have nothing to lose. You're good. And so that's what I did. And I was really grateful that I got to do it because I also think that when it comes to any entrepreneurial venture, it gives to you what you give to it. And as soon as I started going full-time with my blog, it was like, it obviously became my only revenue, like income stream. It also like grew that much quicker because it had my full attention and I was able to do all of the things that maybe I didn't have time to do before. So yeah, that was my whole journey. That's so cool. I also really appreciate that you're very much talking about yourself as an entrepreneur with the blog, because I think a lot of people are like, oh no, I just like create content or like, oh, I just like write. But it's like, you're starting a business and your business may be that you publish blogs, but like that's an entrepreneurial task. This is supposed to provide you income. This is your work. This is your job. And so I appreciate how you're talking about it too. And I think you're spot on like when else but in your 20s to take that risk on yourself. And it obviously worked out and it paid off. It's very cool to see. And then you did the blog thing for a bit, the content creation thing for a bit. And then you obviously, as we know, started Array and started Array with your husband. So talk to me about like, you're doing the blog, things are going well, you're obviously growing it, you're making money. But then at some point along that journey, you're like, I want to start a wellness brand. Tell me a little bit about how the idea came about and like when you started that. So I'd always been really passionate about wellness just because I had a complicated history with my own health. And so, you know, I just got into it based on my own needs. And then I became this like, weirdo in my friends group who always had these supplement recommendations and you know everyone would text me whenever they needed something and it just became something I was really passionate about and also as like someone who was in content creation before that at a magazine I was essentially a hyper consumer you know I was getting first looks at anything and everything that was hitting the market and especially in the skincare category and I just found it really interesting that we could go into Sephora 
and find whatever we needed for whatever issue we had, whether it be like dark circles or acne or hyperpigmentation, you name your issue, there's something there. There's, it's just like such a user-friendly area to navigate. You know, things are formulated by chemist or germ. So, you know, like it's like a trustworthy source, it's results oriented and skincare became this whole like ritualistic thing in people's lives. Whereas wellness was so complicated and convoluted, you know, people would come to me with all these questions and I would be the one answering them. And I knew like what people could take to solve specific issues that I had. And I was like, I want to bring that same experience into wellness, whereby it's targeted products, it's formulated by a naturopathic doctor, it's fast acting and results oriented. And it's also really beautiful. So you're actually excited to use these products, which are really good for you versus like buy supplements and shove it to the back of your pantry because you forgot about it because it was so ugly, you know? And so that's the experience that I wanted to bring. And Nish and I just saw this whole white space. And so we were like, okay, like time to go for it. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And if you guys look at the packaging, like it's really, really beautiful. And a lot of the messaging is like you said, it's very much, it's almost like if you don't like look closely, it does feel very much like a skincare brand and that it is very much about like formulation, proof, results. Like it feels like it's like, oh, wow, okay, this does work. And especially for the skeptics, like, so I come from a family of like doctors and people in medicine who like, like, I think the naturopathic functional medicine world is a little bit more considered like woo-woo. But like, if you show that there are results and you treat it like something that is like to be studied by doctors, people will take it seriously, even the skeptics. Yeah. And there's now like a whole world of like MDs even who are seeing the value in this. And this is not anything new. Like this is not new age stuff. Like this has been traditional Chinese medicine, for example, Ayurvedic cures. Like these have been things that have been used over like centuries, sometimes like, you know, like generations, whatever to give people medicine, but like in a more natural form, if that makes sense. Like when I was younger, like anytime I was sick, like it was like, oh, like have some turmeric with black pepper. And that was just like a thing that we did as like a brown person, you know? And now we know that turmeric, the reason behind that is curcumin is like an anti-inflammatory agent. And it has tons and tons of data proving its anti-inflammatory properties. And it has like a lot of use cases. So these are things that have just been passed down and like used in a traditional capacity. I just think that there was maybe a period where we forgot about it. But I think that in my ideal world, it's like a blend of the two worlds because there absolutely is a time and a place for allopathic medicine. I'm not going to go to my naturopath if I'm having a heart attack. That's just not what I'm going to do or, you know, some like life-threatening illness. But then these things that, you know, they're like niggling problems, which sometimes a doctor's piece of advice is like, oh, like take a Tylenol or like, you know, here's some birth control for your acne. I think that the holistic solution is like a little bit more root cause, which is a little bit more preventative as well. So I think the best world that I see forward is like a blend of the two. 100%. And like you said, it's case by case. It depends on what the need is. And speaking of case by case, you guys have been very known for your bloat pill, which which I mentioned a little bit in the bio. Can you tell me a little bit about where that originated, why you think it's as popular as it is? And also like a little bit more about like bloating. Cause like, I think that's something some people experience, some people don't, but you guys have really carved out a niche for yourself with this bloat pill that, I mean, it's like iconic now. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? So when we were thinking about starting Array, 
I knew that there needed to be a solution for bloat slash stomach issues because literally everyone I spoke to was complaining about how bloated they were and how uncomfortable they were. And so we were like, wait a minute, this is just like crazy that everyone just talks about it. And it's almost been this like normalized thing where people are like, oh yeah, it's fine that I'm uncomfortable and feel like shit. And that's the norm. And I just knew that that wasn't in fact the norm. Same way a lot of things were just expected to take as the norm when it's not. It's just because something's common doesn't mean it's the norm. You know what I mean? And bloating is something extremely different from I gained weight. Like those are not one in the same. We are not treating you for any, like we're not a weight loss product. Like we're just not. It's more so like you should have the ability to enjoy whatever food you want without feeling uncomfortable. Like you have to come home after a night out instead of carrying on with your friends or you have to unbutton your jeans or you have to wear something entirely different. You know, like this is stuff that we don't want you to feel because at the end of the day, like when we're bloated, the amount of mental real estate that that takes up, it's just, you can't show up as your best self for anything because that's taking up all your attention, you know, and it's just a really shitty feeling. And so we worked with a doc, like an naturopathic doctor who is, who owns actually the biggest and best eating disorder clinic here in Canada to formulate that with us. And the reason we worked with her and like an eating disorder specialist specifically is because they are seeing like the most complex of stomach issues and also mental health as well. So that's why we came up with bloat and cum also because the two things kind of go hand in hand. But yeah, that was the bloat product. And I think we really did address a need, you know, because the thing is that if you're bloated, that could be on account of pizza. It could be on account of some vegetables you ate. You know what I mean? Like it's not food specific. It's like anything can kind of set you off and we just want you to be comfortable so you can show up as your best self for the rest of your life and just live, you know? Yeah. And I think it's such a smart point too, this like idea that every human is so different and they react so differently to different foods. And for there to be almost like this like catch-all product that just like helps calm everything down and like remove inflammation is just so important. Because we, I mean, I'm like randomly allergic to avocados. Like, what is that? I don't know. Can't tell you what it is. It's like the worst pain in my life if I have even a, a piece of avocado. And so- Oh my God. Yeah. It's like, but it's just, what what is that? I, I don't know. It's so random, but I certainly don't care. I'm not ever eating avocados, right? So it's like stuff like that. I think even with food issues now, we just, no one even can pinpoint like often what the thing is. But if they have something that can just help calm everything down, make them not bloated, it's just so reassuring versus like needing to figure out the solution. You know, it's like, it's just almost like this like nice calming thing that you're providing people, which is very special. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm grateful that, you know, our, our product spoke to a lot of people. We got emails and messages daily from people who have like IBS and Crohn's and all these chronic issues being like, oh my God, your product really saved me because it's the only thing I use for symptom management and that actually really works. And so it's really fulfilling to hear things like that, you know, and know that we're like truly helping people. It's amazing. It's amazing. Well, I'm also, I'm going to spell the the business name A-R-R-A-E. You know, if you want to go check out what they're doing, it's amazing and very cool and very beautiful. I love great branding. You guys crushed. We worked really hard on it. So I appreciate that. No, it's really important, especially for stuff like this, right? Because part of your edge is that you're not ugly supplements. A hundred percent. Okay, awesome. Well, one final question for you before I let you go. This is something we ask all of our guests. Most of our listeners are 20-somethings. So if you could say one piece of advice to every 20-something, what advice would it be? It's okay to change your mind. 
And what I mean by that is I remember graduating from college and, you know, when I decided that, okay, like maybe PR isn't for me, I felt such immense guilt and that like, I'd almost like I'd failed, you know? And I think that what people don't realize in their twenties is that that decade of your life is meant to be one filled with twists and turns. And it's your job to constantly learn from that and land on the thing that you're really, really good at. And, you know, if you look at my life, because we've gone through a lot of that with you, like all across my twenties, it took a lot of twists and turns, you know, it's not like one day I woke up and I decided, Oh, I'm going to start a Ray. And it was successful. You know what I mean? Like it was before that there's like a whole story, you know, I, I worked in PR, I worked at a magazine, I started my own blog. And then after that, after all of that is when I landed on Array, you know, so it's okay that your career takes twists and turns. You're not supposed to graduate from college having it all figured out. If you do, awesome, but not everyone does. And I can say the same for my husband as well, you know, like, and he graduated an engineer. Like when you're an engineer, it's like you have that one track and he completely like, you know, just took a left turn and, you know, did his, like, just changed his mind there. So it's okay that you don't have things figured out. And it's okay to like, learn, take your 20s as like a learning time, take it really fucking seriously. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but yeah, you can cut that out if you need to. Fucking seriously. (laughs) Yeah, you can, you, you should take your 20s really fucking seriously, because it's not like you should just sit there and do nothing. And I read this like really good book in my early 20s. It's by Meg Jay, and it's called The Defining Decade. So I, I had her on the podcast. Like she was like one of my earliest guests. She's incredible. And I love the book. It's the best. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone should go listen to that episode and read her book because that really did shift the way that I thought about my twenties. And I read that when I was 21. And so I was like, I have to make sure that I can squeeze the most I can out of this decade of my life. And I have to say, I really did. You know, I think that the success that so far I've had knock on wood and hopefully continue to have and grow from here is on account of all the work that I put into myself in my twenties. And so I think everyone should know that they're not supposed to know exactly what they're supposed to do, but really learn. Yeah. And be open to to change, which I think that you've shown so clearly. And your husband was an engineer and now co-founder of Array. So (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I loved hearing your story and so cool to see all that you built at Array. And I appreciate your vulnerability with us. Thanks for being here, Sif. Thank you for having me. You were a great interviewer. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear 20-something. If you enjoyed it, you can give us a follow over at Dear 20-something on Instagram or subscribe here or anywhere you get podcasts. 